for the message this morning. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, and we've been reading verses 10 through 20 each time, and I, I want to do it again. I just want to always put in context, because we, we talk about one piece of the armor of God, but I want to put in context the fact that we're in a battle, that who the enemy is, and what our goal is, and the other pieces of the armor that we have. So if you will turn to Ephesians 6, we'll start reading in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. I ask now you'd open our eyes, the eyes of our heart and, and our mind to the reality of the battle that we're in and give us confidence in you as we discuss the armor that you have provided for us. Father, thank you for this word. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Earlier, when we were just first looking at some of these, I had mentioned that I think the, the, the footwear is my least favorite piece of the armor. So the preparation of the gospel of peace being having our feet shod with that. And the reason I had said it was because it suggests that when you put on the armor, you have to go somewhere. And me, I have an eternal battle between wanting to sit in front of my fireplace, which I don't have, and read books, which I do have, and wanting to go out and see new adventures. And so I have this constant desire to go. And what I find about it is I love looking back and remembering. There are times and moments when we're adventuring where I'm not thinking cool thoughts of like, ah, oh, I'm so glad I'm here. This is really awesome. Instead, I'm thinking, what if we don't make it home this time? Because this is bad. <laughs> there are other times when we go out, like when we went up to see the eclipse a couple of years ago, um, and that was one of those moments where God really visited me as we were there and as the, the sun set in the middle of the day and there was twilight all around us. It was one of those moments where I just found myself singing praise to God because it was so beautiful and it was so moving to be there. And so I understand that there's times when it's, when it's amazing when we go out and do things and there's times when we need to sit by our our fire and read our books and be encouraged and be strengthened, but there's also times when we need to go even when we don't want to go. So I'm still 
because I'm looking at the different pieces of the whole armor of God, you have the belt of truth, which kind of holds everything together, the breastplate of righteousness that can protect our heart, which is in, in a very, uh, in, in the world around us, in the brokenness of the world, our heart is in a very tenuous position because it is so easy for it to be deceived and then to deceive us. And so it's good for us to be able to protect the faith that is in our heart. And then we have the, sh- the, the, the preparation of the gospel of peace on our, on our feet. We have the shield of faith, which, which, with which we will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And then we have the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so some of those others, I, I get better. I understand better when you say the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I understand how that works. I understand the shield of faith. I understand the helmet of salvation. Well, I say I understand them. I understand them better than I understand what's on my feet. I do know this from a soldier's perspective when you're out there, and this is, you don't even have to be a soldier to have experienced this. If you've, been, if you've ever been on a, on a mission where you're out of country and you don't have options other than what you packed in your bag and you packed the wrong socks, it can be a miserable two weeks. If you're ever out camping and hiking and day three, you've used all of your best socks and you didn't pack your wool socks or whatever, it can be a miserable time. Your feet need to be comfortable in order to function well. And so there needs to be something about our feet, spiritually speaking, that has to do with the gospel of peace. And so this is where, as I was considering it this week, I thought it is not just about going, it is also about staying. And I have a quote from Corey Ten Boom that I wanted to read for us that helped me think about this because when we're looking at all of this, I am reminded of the armor that Saul offered David and said, here, put on my armor. And, and David puts it on and says, I haven't tried it. It's not proven. I can't go in it, is, is the way one translation says. And so I have this, when he says I can't go in it, I have this picture of Peter when he was about two or three, and we were, I think, at the Czech conference, and he tried to pick up my 60-pound backpack. And so he couldn't pick it up because it it's always heavy. And so he's down on his knees with his in it like this, and he's just uh, uh, crawling across the floor with it. Well, he, can't, he couldn't go in it. And so it was not proven. It was not a good pack for him to wear. Well, I, I kind of see David, and this may not be accurate, but I, that's the way I see David. He puts on all the armor, and then he's like staggering around trying to walk with all this armor that he hasn't tried. Well, there's a lesson in that and that we want to have our armor fitted and tried and proven before we go into battle. But there's also a lesson in the fact that when David said, I will just go, and the reason he could say I'm gonna go is because he said that Philistine down there has, has, has been speaking against not us, but he's been speaking against God. And so because he's been speaking against God, I will go to him in the name of the Lord and I will defeat him. And this is the part where I think we don't often understand the fact that it could have been anyone, any one of those soldiers, any one of King Saul's men, any of his servants, anyone that would have said what David said and said, look, because he is defaming the name of the Lord, because he's saying these things, I'm going to him in the name of the Lord and I will defeat him. And, I, and I, I've used the example like, you know, it could have been a, a washerwoman gone out there with her 
basket and her wash rag and said, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord and I'm coming. And you know, he might have died laughing. I don't know, but because it wasn't the fact of who was going, it was the fact that it was the name of the Lord that he was going in. And so this is the picture I have for our armor. We might not wear it well all the time. There might be times when we, we, we put it on wrong and we're not wearing it quite right. We don't quite know how to use it. However, we have faith that it's not just about us knowing how to use the armor, but it is also the one who gives us the armor. So this quote from Corey Ten Boom. And this was, she says, this is in a, uh, comes from the book, The End of Battle, talking about spiritual warfare. She says, in the concentration camp where I was so often confronted with death, the Lord often gave me grace to see the whole situation more or less in the light of eternity, and then everything was so simple, so uncomplicated. It was as if I saw myself. I stood there, and there stood the devil. The devil was much, much stronger than I. But Jesus stood at my side, and he is far stronger than the devil. And because I stood at Jesus' side, I was more than, a con more than conqueror. It is essential that we realize in these days that Jesus is conqueror. To stand at his side, to follow him, to be hidden with him in God, that is the safe position for every soldier of Jesus in this time and in the coming final battle. So I love the picture that she gives of, you know, she's there and she's in a concentration camp. And so for any, you know, if, you, if I stop and try to put myself in her position, I'm suddenly reminded that, you know, here, talking about the, my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and I'm thinking, well, I don't know if I want to go where he wants me to go. Uh, I don't know, if, and, and then I see someone like Corey, she has no option of where she can go. She is in the concentration camp. That is where she is, and she is unable to actually change where she is or where she wants to go. And so it's possible that whether we are sent out or whether we are constrained and are kept in a certain place even when we don't want to be there, it is possible in both of those locations that we need this preparation of the gospel of peace on our feet. And so I want to think of it a little bit as in the, the peace that we, that we have, it really does have to do with how we stand. And if you've ever seen someone who has been very perturbed, a lot of times our human response when we're very perturbed is that we're actually, we can't hold still. And I have seen people who have been on uh, various kinds of drugs and things who literally couldn't hold still. They just couldn't. And, and I remember one time going with Josh Nelson to meet this guy, and he was convinced that the people outside the restaurant where he was hiding, he was hiding behind the tables in a restaurant, and he was convinced that they were shooting at him. There was no one outside. There was no one inside. And yet he saw myriads of enemies, and he couldn't hold still. He was ducking and running and going back and forth because he had absolutely no peace in that moment. And we looked at that and say, oh, it's because of this drug situation that you got yourself into. However, there is a deeper idea here. It's not just because we do drugs or just because we ourselves can at times be very much not at peace. And so one of the things that you will find 
is that the, the nervous energy it takes to be anxious, the nervous energy it takes to be concerned and to be looking this way and that way will move your feet, but it will not accomplish anything. And so as I was thinking this week about my feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, there are some things about the gospel of peace that bring us so much peace that it's like the psalmist where he says, set my feet on a wide path, put my feet in a smooth place. And it's a calm place. It's a place where we're confidently able to walk forward. We're confidently able to walk into situations knowing who we are at peace with. And so I don't have the complete answer to exactly how our footwear is to be the gospel of peace, but I wanted to take a moment to read a number of scriptures where the gospel of peace and our feet are mentioned together. So we just read Ephesians 6. Let's read that. Ephesians 6, verse 15. It says, Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so then if you look in, and you don't have to turn to these if you don't want to, but you can if you, if you have your Bible with you. Luke 1, as long as it takes me to find them, you will have plenty of time to find them also. Luke 1, verse 78, it says, and this is Zechariah's prophecy. So this is after John the Baptist is born and then Zechariah is given back his speech and he is filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. And toward the end of his prophecy, he says in verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so the picture is given of people who were sitting in darkness and a light has been given and it will guide our feet into the way of peace. Now I want to read several others. Um, the next one I wanted to read is here in the book of, if I can find it, the book of Nahum. Well, I said if when I'm looking some of these up, you have plenty of time to find them because I never did the Bible drills. I tried a few times. I never did them officially. <coughs> I memorized them, the names of the books in German first. So that's not a good excuse but because it's spelled the same in English and German, especially for this one. <laughs> so, all right. Someone moved it. I found it so quickly the other day. All right. Well, I'm in Micah. Okay, Nahum. In chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feast. Perform your vows. For the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. But the, the image is given here of, of on the mountains, there are feet coming across the mountains and they're bringing good tidings. And we see this image used multiple times. Uh, let's go to Isaiah chapter 52. In Isaiah chapter 52, it's verses seven through eight. 
And it says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices with their voices. They shall sing together for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. And so I think of the calling that we've been given in many ways, we are the watchmen, and part of what we're doing is we're saying that God reigns, that he truly does reign, and, we've been, and so part of the message that we've been given fits into this picture, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And so if you think of, of someone who is in need of good news, when you are needing to hear something, and it can, this can range from relational good news, to business good news, you know, financial. It, there's so many pieces of good news you can hear. You can have political good news. You can have all kinds of news that you're waiting to hear. And when the person comes and gives you the good news, there is usually a release that is given. You're like, okay, good. I was hoping this is the way it would turn out, but I wasn't sure. But now I know. Thank you for telling me. And so for us, and in a spiritual sense, many of us have been given deep longings within that we keep thinking someone is going to fulfill. And we've tried human relationships, we've tried human activities, and so when someone finally comes along and says, let me tell you about that deep longing that you keep having, it has to do with the fact that the creator God created you, and he created you for more than this. And we look around and we say, really? And then they explain how we were separated from God and we couldn't even access more than this. We were stuck with only this. And then because of Jesus coming and living among us and dying for us and being raised again and sitting at the right hand of God the Father, because of that, suddenly we have access to more than this. And now there is hope for us. There is good news. There is really good news for someone like me who comes along and says, well, I've read the scriptures. I've submitted, I've committed my life to Christ. I've been obeying him. I've, I've, I have married my wife. I've committed my life to her. I'm following all the instructions that I know to do in here. I'm doing the right things. And I have children. I want them to grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I want them to grow up knowing the Lord. And then I say, well, God has given me a vocation. I'm a pastor, I'm a filmmaker, and I love doing these things. And so I've done all of these things and I get to the end of the day and I say, then if, if, if I'm doing everything that God has asked of me, why do I still have this inexplicable, inexplicable longing in my heart? And so when someone comes to me and says, it's because God created you for another world and he is going to fully satisfy you that on one day, I say, thank you, because I was getting confused. I had so many of my desires met. I had fulfilled so many of my dreams and my passions, and yet there was something more that I was looking for, and I didn't want to abandon the things that I already had. I didn't want to abandon the church, because this is what some people do. They say, well, I haven't found everything, so I'm abandoning the church. I haven't found every, every human relationship, so I'm abandoning my wife. I haven't found, I'm, I'm going to abandon my children because I haven't been fully fulfilled. 
And if, you're, if you've been taught and your heart has believed this, that you should be completely and fully fulfilled, you will be left wanting something. But for me, the news came, as it were, over the mountains, and someone said, you were created for more than this. There is more. There is eternity with Jesus Christ. He has prepared a mansion for you. There is something more. And one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb, I will understand more and more of this. Now I look at Revelation, I look at Ezekiel, I look at some of these books, and I say, something is going to happen at the end. And I don't always know what it is, but something is going to happen. But on the other side of that something, I'm going to be with Jesus. And on the other side of that something, I'm going to get a clearer picture than I ever have here. And so I, suddenly I can relax. I can walk at peace with my God, with my church, with my wife, with my children and say, this is what I'm living for because this is good. And yes, I have more longings, but they will be fulfilled one day and I'm at peace instead of rushing to and fro trying to figure out how to fill every little bit of lacking peace. I can say, no, I'm at peace here because I know that not only has God created me for fellowship with the saints, not only has he given me a vocation within the church, not only has he given me a wife that I can walk with and adventure with, not only has he given me children that I can enjoy and raise up for his kingdom, but he's calling me up higher later. I have all of this and eternity beside. And that for me, that was good news. And it allowed me to basically change my socks and say, I'm tired of walking through the sloggy marshes of this world, wearing nasty, stinky socks. And I have no peace because my feet hurt. And suddenly, in a spiritual sense, I took off the old socks and I put on clean, dry socks. And I put on my shoes and I say, I can face another day because my feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel, the good news came and it brought peace to me. I don't have to think that I have to solve every problem on this earth. I only have to walk where he wants me to walk. I only have to walk with him. He is going to address many of these problems through me, through you. However, I am not stressing about them. I am walking forward. And so this quote that we just read from Isaiah 52, seven through eight, where it says, if I have this correctly, Isaiah 52, verse 6, which is right before this, it says, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. So that phrase, behold, it is I. I want to keep that in, in, in mind here. And then I want to look over at, I either want to look at Romans 10 or Isaiah 40. So I want to read them both, but I want to see which order I'm doing them in. Um, so in, uh, let's go back to Isaiah 40. In verse 9, it says, O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountains. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And then this was applied, these quotes, in, in Romans 10. 
So I want to read that as well. So verses like 9 through 13 are familiar ones for many of us where it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then we come down, so he's, he makes this statement and it's a quote, again, from the prophets. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then he goes on and says in verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? It's a good question. Verse 15, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? It, it, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So Paul sets up here in Romans this, this conundrum of how are they going to believe if they don't hear? But he goes one further and says, but how is someone going to preach if they're not sent? And so as I'm looking at the, the armor of God and I'm looking at all the pieces to it and I'm thinking about someone else wearing the pieces of the armor, I suddenly become very, very grateful for the preparation of the gospel of peace that someone's feet were shod with. I am so glad that someone walked into my life with the peace of God and shared it in such a way that I then could have peace with God. And when Paul at the end of in Ephesians 6, when he's saying, pray for me that utterance may be given to me, and we apply that to each one of us. We're not all called to write this man, the epistles. We're not all called, we, we don't, we're not all Paul, but we're all called for something. And one of the things we're called for is to wear the preparation of the gospel of peace so that when we walk into any situation and any circumstance, that those who sit in darkness can see the light. And it doesn't mean that we go around having to preach with our words all the time. It means that we're walking in the peace of Jesus Christ. And as we come into it, some of you will be called to preach. Some of you will be called to share one-on-one. -on -one. Some of you will be called to write. Some of you are called to sing. But the common denominator of all of these callings is that we are, are taking that which we have seen and heard and experienced in who Jesus is, and we are making it known so that others who hear us, faith can grow in them. And in a, in a sense that I didn't fully get before, our feet have more to do with our talking than we would realize. And this is, this is if you've ever been um, mountain climbing or rock climbing, when you're in a moment of extreme danger trying to go from one ledge to the next, you don't have a lot of conversations. But when you're in a safe place on the ledge, once you've up there, and maybe you're uh, all sitting up there. I remember when I was, I was 11 or 12, 
And my mom and one of and my friends, my two, they were, they were brothers. One was just younger than me, one was just older. I think we were 11 and 12 at the time. And they, they let us go, uh, they let us go camping and other things. Both these moms, my mom and their mom were really awesome moms for boys that age. We lived in, up in mountain lion and grizzly bear country in Montana, but we'd go camping, we'd do other things. Well, this particular day, we were going up to Mount Robinson and a week or two prior, one of our families had left something up there on a family hike. We were, we were going up to get that. So we go straight up the trail, we find it and we say, good, now we've got time. Let's go climb the pinnacle. And so the pinnacle was on the one side, it came down slowly, a slow path, you could hike up to it. The other side was a rock face. And so we were like, let's go up the rock face. Let's do it. And we had, we had talked about it at church the previous Sunday and our other friends are like, you couldn't do that if you tried. And we're like, oh yes, we can, we're gonna do it. So we get there and we start going up. So at first it's just big boulders and it's like bouldering. We're going up, we're going up. And then you have to start making decisions. Do we go this way or do we go that way? And if you go too far any of the ways, you're no longer on the rock face. And so what's the point if, you're, if, if you know, it's too easy? So we're trying to go up the rock face. And we get to this point where the next ledge is about six feet up, which is not bad if you're a grown man, you can grab it and go up, but we're not grown men, we're 11 and 12. And so we're trying to reach this thing. So we work and we work and we work. We finally figure out how to get all three of us up, but we have to like, two of us push up one of them and then one reaches down, the other one pushes and then we both, they, we grab a, um, the two that are up there already, we grab a tree that's there and we hang over and he jumps up and we grab him and we, we all haul up to the top and we're working and working and then we sit there at the top and we realize that we're all shaking with the exertion and the adrenaline of it. And you know, the reality is the way the rock face was, if we fell, we would have fallen a very short distance, like falling off a table or something. But when you looked out over the view, you could see a long way from up there and it felt so scary. And so by the time we made it to the top and we had rested properly, we could talk about every aspect of what we had just done. And we were able to talk about it for weeks and months afterwards. I'm still talking about it today because we accomplished something and it was awesome. But when you're in the middle of that thing, when we were climbing up, we might have shared a word or two. I don't actually remember that we did. We just worked hard. And we worked really hard. And then once we were all safe, then we could talk. And so there is something to be said about this. If you're trying to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, but your feet are not in a good place, and you do not, you're not experiencing the peace of God, you won't have a whole lot to say. But when you've come through and you say, God is faithful, I was crying out to the Lord and he rescued me in this way and now my feet are in a solid place, then we can share about it and we will share about it. And most everyone that lives on the earth goes through these times where it's tight, these times where it's difficult, these times where, where we don't know how am I gonna come out the other side. And sometimes we quite literally don't know if we're gonna come out the other side. And so when we meet someone who is on the other side and says, I walked that path and God was faithful, we say, tell me more, explain what happened. And we start sharing from our place of peace and safety what God has done. And that is part of, of how those who have not heard will hear 
the gospel and will respond in faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so when I look at back here at the, the scripture we read in Isaiah 40, O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. That phrase, behold your God. I think of someone like John the Baptist. He is out in the wilderness and some of us and some of them back in the day, in his day, if they would have found themselves in that wilderness with the food he had and the clothes he had, we would have had high levels of anxiety. What am I doing here? Why am I here? What's going on? But John the Baptist had found a place of true peace. And he was right there in the middle of true peace with God and he was able to stand with confidence there by the River Jordan and people would come out. And he was able to preach confidently and to say things that weren't safe to say when he would speak to the, the, the religious people of the day. But the other thing that it gave him confidence and peace to do is when Jesus came walking, he was able to with confidence point and say, behold the Lamb of God. And this is where the images, the, 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 the stories that God builds into his greater account of history, when he allows us to see these small examples, this is what he's doing. Because when you first think about John the Baptist wearing clothing of camel's hair and sandals and eating honey and grasshoppers, basically, my first thought about John the Baptist is not, wow, he must have beautiful feet. It's not. <laughs> I'm thinking he probably has camel's feet. Like, you know, he's, he's got rough, tough feet. He's been out there. And yet, according to the scripture, John the Baptist, when he looks up and sees Jesus walking and he says, behold the Lamb of God, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And so I want to, as we look at the full armor and we recognize that we have an enemy that comes from all directions, I want to challenge us to basically rethink, as I have been rethinking, what this gospel, the preparation of the gospel of peace is. That every piece of our armor is really important, is really necessary. We need to have a good foundation, a good place to stand. We need to have, and, and when we talk about the helmet of salvation, one of the things that I find constantly attacking me is in my thought life, where thoughts come in. And, and the problem with my thought life is not that every thought that comes is so obviously wicked and so obviously wrong. It's the ones that are almost right. It's the ones that say, you should probably choose safety over effectiveness. You should probably cho choose rest today instead of working harder today. There's all these little thoughts that come into my thought life. And so when I think of the helmet of salvation, I think, well, that's a very important thing. I want my, my every thought to be taken captive. But what happens when I believe the wrong thought is it affects where my feet stand. 
I will quite literally be moved by fear, if you've ever experienced that. I grew, when, when I was a kid, we were in Tennessee, and I'll tell you this, I was more scared of the copperheads in Tennessee than the mountain lions in Montana. Now, I did meet a mountain lion in the woods once, and I did have a heart racing, and I was scared, so I don't want to make it sound like I wasn't scared. I, when I met a mountain lion in the woods, they are scary, right? But to this day, if I'm walking along and I see something coiled with a little bit of a pattern on the floor, I will move. Like, move now, investigate later. Like, I will, I can move, you know, 20 feet away, just like that. And sometimes the first thing I do after I jump is not look to see if it's a snake, I look to see if anyone's watching. Because it will, it will, I will jump so hard, like, and, and I have good reason. In, my, in Tennessee, I mean, one night we opened the door. Mom and I were going out to the shop, and it was after dark. And Mom steps out, and this little snakehead turns up like this. And copperheads can potentially bite you without having to coil and strike. And so I just remember Mom took off that way, and I closed the door, and then they came back in, and they, they killed the snake. And we had such a problem with them. And then, you know, in Texas, we had the problem with rat snakes. They wouldn't bite you, they weren't poisonous, but they ate your chickens and they ate your eggs. They also ate your rats. And we had a lot of rats, but they ate way more chickens than they ate rats. And so they couldn't, we couldn't introduce. There was a, 12, uh, a two week period where we had to literally kill 24 rat snakes because they were in our chicken house eating our chickens. So there are seasons where the enemy comes in and we look at the enemy like that and we say, well, he's just wasting our time. Or an enemy that's a copperhead, and we say, this, is, this could kill you. And so I have been moved by fear just by thinking something is something that it's not. And if you think of um, occasionally in history, there's a bank run where everyone says, I've got to get over there. And by, by making a bank run, a, a run on the bank, they actually empty the bank of all of its money. And then next thing you know, there is a real crisis. And so they were moved by what they heard and thought and, and saw and created a crisis that did not exist before then. And so it is, this happens all the time. My, the thoughts of my heart, my heart, my mind, all of these things conspire against me and they move my feet away from the solid place where I'm supposed to be. And so when I'm thinking about the armor of God and what I want us to take with us is just this. It is a very important piece, as in peace and peace, okay? So it's very important that we have peace where we're standing, that we're standing with peace. And, I, and, and this can happen to me, it can happen to you, is where we have little things that we let build up with other people, with other relationships, and there's little things, and we say, ah, I'm just going to let it go, I'm just going to let it go. And eventually we get to a point where we don't even know what peace looks like. And so it's important for us to take some time shining our armor to look at our footwear, to look at our life around us and say, are there any outstanding things that I have wronged others that I haven't ever tried to correct? And we, tr we correct those as much as is possible with us. Live at peace with all men as much as is possible with you. There are some things that are outside your control, but you want to know that. You want to know, I've done what I could. I have done my peace. I have done what I can, and now... As much as is possible, I'm living peaceably with all men. 
I also want to look between me and God and say, are there things that I'm hoping he doesn't notice? Because I know that he sees everything and he knows everything, but I live as if he can only see the things I tell him about. And so I, I have to sometimes on purpose say, all right, Lord, here's the whole house. Here's everything I've been trying to hide. And it is, it, there's a great peace in full disclosure. And just saying, here, it, this is all of it. And so it's important as we're shining the armor of our spiritual warfare that we protect the peace, that we protect this place. Because, and this goes back to the, um, a couple of years ago, and I've, I think I've used this story as this exact example before. But in about 11.30 at night, there's a banging on the door. This is when we're living in the, in the apartment. And I, I go out and I look through the peephole and there's several people there. Some, one has a clipboard and then there's people with rifles and other things. And so I, I open the door and I say, what's going on? And they say, well, we're looking for someone. And so it was the previous tenant that had already moved out and there was an outstanding warrant and this was one of those bounty hunter groups and they were looking for this person. So they're, they're looking at everything and I'm telling them, well, you know, my name is Joseph, my wife's name is Stacy. We just moved here three years ago. The person you're looking for lived here before that sometime. We don't know. We just still sometimes get mail. So they're like writing this stuff down. And, and like you can see... Um, and it, and it could have been Dog the Bounty Hunter. I don't know, because it, was, it, was, it looked just like that group of people. Um, and so they are like very disappointed and they are leaving. Well, I close the door and I walk over to the window and I see that they have stationed outside front and then I look out the back. There were over a dozen people with big rifles and guns surrounding the apartment complex because they didn't know if, when they found this guy, if they were gonna have to force him to go with them or what. So I was just thinking, and Stacy brought it up first, and I was thinking at the time, and I keep thinking multiple times since then, what would have happened if I would have had a guilty conscience? And I would have had something to hide, and, I, and if I would have been convinced that someone was out to get me? And what would have happened if in the first little glimpse, I would have said, ah, they're after me. What if I would have returned fire? They weren't even looking for me. But the amount of trouble that a guilty conscience would have created for me that night could have been exponentially horrific. And instead, I went back to bed and went to sleep and told Stacy about it the next morning. She said, why didn't you wake me up? And I said, because it happened so fast. And then it was over. And so... But, but that's a, that is a, an example of there are times when you want to be able to walk straight up, not just to your God, not just to your people, but you want to walk straight up to the enemy with a pure conscience, knowing where you stand, knowing where your feet are, and that your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel peace. You're at peace with God, and you're at peace with man, as much as lies within you. And that gives you a position of strength. It is like in the Civil War era, getting the high ground with the rock fence and that the enemy has to come across the field and up the hill towards you. It's that important. And so when we think of our feet, you know, in, our, in the revolutionary war, we quite literally had barefoot soldiers and it's not the best way to fight. It doesn't help you. And so we don't want to be caught spiritually barefoot when it comes to the battle because the battle is coming battle is here, the battle is around us, and 
we've also been given a mission in the middle of this battle. We cannot just withdraw and sit safely by our fire and read our books. We have to actually engage the enemy. And part of the reason for that is that the enemy is within. The enemy is around us. And you will be, the principalities and powers that hate God also hate you. And they're trying to destroy you. And so we want to be able to stand. And having done all, when we put on the full armor of God, and we've done everything that we can stand. That's what we want. And in order to stand, we need to have our feet in a good place. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us peace with you. Lord, that we are not left to our own devices of trying to find peace. And I thank you, Lord, for the image that Corrie ten Boom mentioned, Lord, of that as we stand and we look at the enemy, we can also understand that you are standing next to us. And while the enemy might be bigger and stronger than we are, you are bigger and stronger than any enemy that we've ever faced. So, Father, I pray for us that we would be able to put on the full armor of God, and especially that our feet would be would be clothed with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And that someday, somebody would be grateful for our feet that came to them, as it were, across the mountains with the gospel of peace. Father, use us, strengthen us. We love you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.